Hey everybody, and welcome back to another thrilling adventure of Superman. I am, as always, your host, Michael Bradley, and this episode we will be looking at Action Comics number 9 from 1939. I hope that everyone is doing well. I am doing pretty good. This has been an extremely busy week. The last couple actually have been pretty busy. I've been juggling a lot of things this week and have had to deal with some truck issues as well, so uh, it's been keeping me busy. But I've also been working on the early steps of a couple new projects that hopefully I'll be able to announce pretty soon. But um, since I can't talk about them at the moment and you're here for the thrilling adventures of Superman and not the thrilling adventures of Michael, I think we'll just jump right into the stuff you came here for. Unless you want me to keep talking about myself, because I could. Okay, I'm just kidding. First up, I've got an email from Steve Rogers, and Steve holds the distinction of being the first person to send me two notes of feedback for the show. And I'd say that's a prestigious honor, but really it's me that's honored, because not only do I love hearing feedback, but it's great that anyone takes time out of their busy schedules to drop me a note about the show. So, Steve writes, Hey, Michael thought I'd drop you a line about a few things discussed in the Action 6 episode. First, the not-really-Jimmy-Olsen. It's a bit humorous how fandom loves to try and retcon every little thing to be of greater significance down the road. Even the comic companies themselves are guilty of this, as mentioned in an episode of Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Their Kurt Busiek miniseries from the 1990s, Untold Tales, went to the point of retconning a typo that Stan Lee, or the letterer, made with Anna Watson and therefore creating a whole new character based off a simple typo. But I guess that is the root of fan fiction and all. It clearly isn't Jimmy, but why let what happens down the road get in the way of someone hoping that it really is Jimmy Olsen? Oh wait, maybe it really was Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy Henry Olsen of Smallville fame. And Stevie, yeah, I definitely agree with you. I mean, you know, from a from a fan point, point of view, uh, if you want to say it's Jimmy Olsen, say it's Jimmy Olsen. That's fine with me. I guess in the uh, episode 6 there, I was just talking about more from a historical standpoint. Um, you know, um, Man of Steel number 1 might be the current... Well, I don't know if it's current anymore, but at one point it was considered the first appearance of the current Superman. But historically, his first appearance is still Action Comics number 1. And I kind of see the same thing with Jimmy Olsen. I mean... From a, a storytelling perspective, it can be retconned that Jimmy first appeared in Action Comics number 6, but really the character didn't show up until later on in the radio show. And that's that's kind of what I was trying to get at, get at with that little uh, tangent that I made in that episode. Anyway, Steve continues. Speaking of Smallville, it's interesting that you noted that you kind of wish the idea of Superman as an urban legend was fleshed out more. Granted, I'd be shocked and stunned if the current powers that be at Smallville knew of these early stories, but just about every retelling of Superman's formative years, literally from the time the reports of him start surfacing, he is a very public figure. Superman the movie, the Byrne reboot, Lois and Clark, the animated, the animated series, etc. Except for the blur on Smallville, where Clark is still, as of this writing, considered a vigilante and not the all-but-deputized member of the law that Superman is in most incarnations of the character. But then again, could Superman really work as well as even a Spider-Man-like character? Well, maybe at the skill sets and power levels of these earliest stories. I mean, he hasn't flown yet. Oh my gosh, maybe the Smallville people really have read these early issues. Or done much beyond powerful strength, super speed, and invulnerability, as well as none of the assortments of vision, hearing, and breath exploits. 
But down the road, I highly doubt Superman could ever be a character like Batman, hiding in the shadows and considered to be, or excuse me, and considered to the general populace as an urban legend. Anyway, love the shows and can't wait until Superman and World's Finest get added to the lineup. Steve. You know, Steve, I really agree with you as far as Superman not, you know, hiding in the shadows and, and being considered an urban legend. But I really kind of am fond of the idea of Superman not making the big splashy public debut. Um, when we get to the radio show, we'll see this more of Superman, you know, just slowly creeping into the public consciousness. Uh, you know, people hearing exploits of this uh, incredible individual with, with incredible powers and flying and, and doing all these uh, feats of strength, but never really having that big public debut from saving a space plane or catching Lois from falling from the roof of the Daily Planet. But I think the reason we get those big splashy debuts and in, in all the various incarnations is because it's just a big wow moment. And, you know, the one of the most memorable scenes in Superman the movie is Lois being caught from falling from the roof of the Daily Planet. Easy, miss. I've got you. you you've got me? Who's got you? <laughs> Oh, I, I can't believe it. I just, and I it's the same way with the animated series. You know, Superman throwing down with Metallo in those opening episodes. Shall we go a few rounds without the suit? <clears throat> Too bad. Or the burn reboot with him catching the space plane. It's just a big wow moment that, that catches people's attention. And as far as Smallville goes, yeah, they're kind of exploring the urban legend idea. But I, I think that's more out of the fact that they have to rather than they want to. You know, it's, it's not quite the same as these, early, uh, as these early issues of the comics or the episodes of the radio serial that we're going to get to. They're really only keeping Clark out of the costume because they can't put him in the costume yet. From the outset of the show, Clark putting on that blue and, blue and red suit has always been the goal and not something that they wanted to do ahead of time. And we've got Clark as the blur, and yes, he's still hiding in the shadows and doing all this stuff, but that's I'm not really sure how deep to get into this because I don't want it to I don't want to uh, turn this into uh, the thrilling adventures of Smallville. and I'm, I'm trying not to be uh, just sit here and, and rail on the show because I could for quite a long time, but um, to be very concise and very blunt about it. The show has so many problems, and the show has gone on way too long. Uh, it should have ended after season five, if not even sooner than that. And, you know, it's just been stretched out and stretched out and stretched out to the point where they have to have Clark being more of a superhero, but since putting on that blue and red suit is the the goal of the show, they have to have him be the blur. And he can't be public as the blur and then be public as Superman. So he's got to be sticking with the hiding in the shadows and, and not being well-known. And really, if you watch the show, he is well-known. They, they just don't know what he looks like. The general public doesn't know what he looks like, even though it seems the U.S. government does. And you know, Spoiler alert. But um, anyway, the show's got a lot of problems. But you're right, they are, they are kind of playing with the urban legend idea, even though, as I said, I think it's more out of... Uh, necessity than, than a, a want to explore that aspect of the character.
But anyway, I'm glad you're enjoying the show, Steve, and I'm really excited to get to Superman and World's Finest as well. It's going to be a little bit before we get to the, the World's Finest stories, but I'm, I'm really super psyched to get there. So thanks again, Steve, for writing in, and everyone else, you're welcome to send feedback on the show, good, bad, or whatever, to thrillingadventures at greatcrypton.com. And there are other ways to get in touch with the show, too, and I will outline those at the end of the episode. Alright, so, as I said, this episode we will be looking at Action Comics number 9. It was released sometime around January 3rd, 1939, and it had a 10 cent cover price and a cover date of February 1939. This issue's cover is again by Fred Gardner, and it shows a race car driver breaking through a wood barrier of some sort. It's a pretty dynamic cover with lots of energy. I really can't say anything bad about it, but... I really would like to see Superman on more of these covers, and we'll get there soon, but man, it's a, it just seems like it's a long wait. On the bright side, as I talked about last episode, Superman is at least mentioned on every cover from here on out. There's a box in the upper left corner of the art area that reads, In this issue, another thrilling adventure of Superman. And it's a pretty good sized box, too, so that's something. The Superman story in this issue has been given the, the titles Wanted, Superman, and $5,000 Reward for Superman. The story was written by Jerry Siegel, who actually signed as Jerry instead of Jerome for the very first time this issue. Joe Schuster did the art, Vin Sullivan is credited, credited as editor, and once more, according to the Grand Comics database, Paul Loretta was the letterer and possibly assisted on the inking. In what could possibly be considered our first homage, the opening splash echoes the iconic cover to Action Comics number one. Though here, Superman isn't smashing a car, but a tank. Unfortunately, the art in the splash is a bit off. The tank, mostly in the uh, track treads area, it just isn't drawn very well, and Superman's shield is missing. Well, actually, it's not missing, but... If you look closely at the original issue, you can see where the lines are for the shield, but the way Superman's body is positioned and the fact that his entire chest has been colored blue, it makes it difficult to see. And in reprints, where the work has been rescanned and recolored, the shield is lost entirely. Uh, the background of the image is great. There's another tank in the background firing off a shot, and the, the lines and the shading of the background, the sky, and where the tank is smashing into the rocks are all very dynamically drawn. So, yeah, there's great potential in this image, but it really just kind of falls apart a little in the detail of the main image. So, but still, it's awesome to see Superman smashing a tank. Our intro paragraph this time out reads, Lifting tremendous weights, jumping stupendous heights and distances, running faster than a, a bullet, rending steel with his bare hands, these are the astonishing physical attributes which aid Superman, savior of the helpless and oppressed, in his never-ceasing war on injustices. I don't think that this particular phrasing of the introduction paragraph is ever used again, and it's possible they were just too distracted by Superman smashing a tank. Uh, anyway, uh, this story picks up shortly after the events of last issue. If you recall, Superman, in an effort to clean up a crime-riddled slum area and force the government to build the area with affordable rental apartments, destroyed an entire section of the city, tearing down tenements and other buildings. The National Guard was called in to stop him, but Superman evaded their capture, and our story ended with the police chief vowing that 
Even though he personally agreed with Superman's actions, he would stop at nothing to bring Superman in. As we open here, Police Chief Burke is holding a press conference where he reminds those in attendance of Superman's destructive actions. Some of those in attendance cheer on Superman, but the Chief says that regardless of his motives or their own opinions, he has to be brought in just like anyone else for his willful destruction of public property. Oh, if the Chief only knew the wacky hijinks Superman had been up to in the seven issues before he encountered him. I mean, assault and battery, kidnapping, attempted murder, criminal confinement, assault with a deadly weapon, destruction of private property, identity theft, reckless behavior, threats of bodily harm, interference with a police officer, evading arrest, more assault and battery. It makes knocking over a few dilapidated old buildings look like a city beautification project. But still, the chief has a point, and despite jeers from one guy in attendance, who we learn later is Mortimer Snoop, a private detective, so why he's at the press conference I'm not really sure, but despite Snoop's mocking, the chief admits that they've made every effort until now and failed, but vows to bring Superman in to answer for his crimes. To that end, he's hired the famous detective Captain Riley, the man who is going to put Superman behind bars. Hailing from Chicago, Riley has earned the nickname 100% Riley because he always gets his man. Riley says that he has been assigned to track down over 800 men over the course of his career, and all 800 are now in jail. He brags that Superman is as good as caught. And I think we can already tell how this is going to end, can't we? Clark Kent, who is also in attendance, whispers to a fellow reporter, calling Riley a conceited windbag. Riley overhears him and leaps at Clark, threatening, threatening to knock his lights out. Another reporter pulls Riley off the cowering Clark, but Riley's temper flares, and he tells Clark he'll have Superman captured in two days, to which Clark can only reply, G-g-gulp? <laughs> Later, back at the Daily Star, a photographer relates the story to Lois, including every last embarrassing detail of Clark's reaction, which causes Lois to say that Clark's, of course, a coward. And this is the first time we've seen Lois since issue number seven. And even there, her brief interaction with Clark was relatively friendly, and she spent most of the rest of her small appearance chasing after and drooling over Superman. So, this is the first time we've seen Lois in any kind of significant appearance since issue number six. Now, you know how when you're all cooped up in the house all weekend because of bad weather or work or you're sick or whatever, and you get a lot of energy built up inside you that you need to let off, right? And it's even worse if you're someone who likes to get out and do physical exercise every day and is used to burning off lots of energy. Well, Lois is the same way. Not so much with the physical exercise, but as we've seen, she's a whole truckload of extra strength crazy to begin with. And given her limited opportunities to emasculate Clark over the last few issues, that's left her with quite a bit of loony all pent up inside. So, when poor Clark comes back to the office a little later, he reminds Lois that earlier she promised to let him take her to a movie that evening. Lois replies by screaming, literally screaming, because her dialogue in the panel is three times the size of standard lettering. But Clark reminds her of the date, and right in the middle of the office, she screams, Clark Kent, I despise you! And Clark's like, what? And he tries to explain that Lois had been friendly lately, but Lois, who is all up in his face at this point, cuts him off and says, 
I absolutely loathe you, you contemptible weakling. Don't you dare even talk to me any more. <sighs> Clark, clearly a sucker for punishment, starts to get a little upset and tells Lois that she's not fooling him, that he knows she's in love with someone else and demands to know who it is. Lois denies, but Clark presses her, saying, I've watched you when you were alone. A tender, faraway look creeps into your eyes. You're thinking of him. Stalker. Okay, so maybe he didn't say it quite that creepily, but yikes. Come on, Clark. Your obsession with Lois is narrowly close to rivaling Lois's own obsession with Superman. Next thing you know, they'll make a movie and he'll be hovering outside her window watching her. Oh, wait. Anyway, Clark presses harder, demanding to know the object of Lois's affection. Lois tells him that he's grand, glorious, terrific, brave, bold, handsome, superb. Clark grabs Lois's arm and asks who he is, and finally Lois replies smugly, Superman. Clark is stunned. He finally starts to back off. Lois tells him to go away and stop bothering her, and Clark slowly starts to walk off in a daze. Lois thinks to herself that she just might have been too hard on Clark. Gee, you think? But that she couldn't help it. Clark sickens her. Anyway, Clark saunders off sadly, dejected, and wanders into an empty office. But as the door shuts behind him, he busts out in hilarious laughter over Lois's foolishness, saying that a few more seconds and he just wouldn't have been able to keep it in. And I love this. It, it just reminds me of something that you might have seen in the Fleischer cartoons a few years after this story came out. Because in those, Superman was always very tongue-in-cheek about his dual identity. And this is just such a funny scene. because Siegel was clearly having a lot of fun here. But meanwhile, at the police headquarters, the police chief gets after Riley, who it seems has just been lounging about the station house for three hours instead of out tracking down Superman. Riley replies that he's thinking, but the chief says that he wasn't brought in to think. He wants action. Riley says he'll give him action if he can handle the case his own way. After approval from the chief, Riley calls every paper in town, including the Daily Star, and tells them that a $5,000 reward, which is about 80000 in today's money, has been offered for information leading to Superman's arrest. The chief starts to fly off the handle, but Riley reminds him that he said he could handle it any way he chose. He goes on to say that, that this is always how he handles things. He offers a large sum of money as a reward, then collects the money for himself. And the chief is seemingly okay with this dubious ethical violation, because later that day, headlines blare about the reward. Lois is appalled at the news, but amateur detective Mortimer Snoop from earlier in the issue, he sees the headline and can't wait to collect the money for himself. At just that moment, a patient by the name of Saunders has escaped from his room at the local mental hospital and has climbed out onto the ledge, out of reach of the attending nurses. The police are called and word spreads that the patient is threatening suicide. Clark hears the story and asks the editor if he could cover it. Darting into an alley a short distance away, off comes the suit and tie of Clark Kent, revealing the costumed form of Superman. Without a second to lose, Superman leaps into the air. What he doesn't realize, however, is that Mortimer Snoop has witnessed the entire transformation. Snoop is stunned at seeing the figure leap out of sight. 
He realizes that it must be Superman and runs off to find a telephone where he calls Detective Captain Riley to tell him of the Superman sighting and see about the reward. Riley hightails it to the location and asks Snoop what he knows. Snoop tells him that he saw a guy take off his clothes and jump into the sky. Without a single joke about Snoop being drunk, Riley goes straight to work and inspects the clothes left in the alley. And I guess this explains why, in several issues, we've seen Clark going home first before changing into Superman. It's not something that I thought of then, but when Clark changes to Superman, he has to leave Clark's clothes somewhere. In The Silver Age, a concept was introduced that, when a, that there was a special pouch on the inside of Superman's cape. Clark would chemically treat his regular clothes so that he could super compress them and store them in the pouch when he needed to change to Superman. And since the cape was indestructible then, having been made out of a Kryptonian fabric, they were safe. But here, there's no cape pouch yet, so the clothes have to go somewhere, and leaving them lay on the ground or in a random alley or around the office probably isn't the best idea. Anyway, Riley inspects the clothes and finds that there's no tags or anything saying who the clothes belong to, so Riley decides to wait around and grab him if he returns for them. He tries to get Snoop to leave, but Snoop has the suspicion that Riley is trying to cheat him out of the $5,000 reward money, which he, you know, is, so with their minds on the money and the money on their minds, both men decide to wait for Superman's return. Meanwhile, during all of this, the patient has been on the ledge outside of the mental hospital, contemplating whether or not he should jump. He finally decides to go for it, and the next thing you know is falling towards the street. Atop a nearby building, Superman spots him and leaps downward. With mere inches to spare, Superman swoops in, grabs Saunders, and is able to right himself, landing feet first on the pavement, shattering the concrete and sending chunks flying in every direction probably again killing several passers-by. But Saunders is saved. And not only that, but we get the beginning of Superman's crazy acrobatic stunts that will eventually morph into full-on gravity-defying defying, gravity flight. As I mentioned last episode, we're going to start seeing Superman's powers grow and evolve. And this is the first instance of flight growing out of his ability to only leap. Over the next... Yeah, we'll say year of stories, we're going to start seeing Superman doing more and more acrobatic type things while quote-unquote leaping tall buildings, uh, changing directions, doing flips, etc., until eventually down the road they'll just call it flight and are done with it. But this little flip he does here to save Saunders is the first step in that direction. And I will scan these panels and put them up in the show notes at greatcrypton.com if you're interested in seeing them. So anyway, Superman rather rudely returns Saunders to the doctors at the hospital and leaps off before they can ask any questions. Superman plans to pick up his clothes, then head back to the Daily Star and write up his article. Snoop and Riley are still waiting for him in the alleys, each trying to subtly get rid of the other. Superman spies on them from a neighboring rooftop and decides to just wait and, you guessed it, watch them because the situation could prove entertaining. It's a good thing Clark doesn't have a story to file or anything. Back in the alley, both Riley and Snoop decide to feign disinterest, saying it was likely just a false alarm. With hopes that it will cause the other to give up their search for Superman, both Riley and Snoop leave the alley, intent on doubling back once the other has gone. Unfortunately, neither are as smart as they think they are, because the two meet face to face just minutes later in the exact same spot. 
Raleigh grabbed Snoop by the collar, threatening him for trying to claim the reward money and fully intent on giving him a big bite of knuckle sandwich. Snoop cowers a bit, then suddenly notices and brings to Raleigh's attention that the clothes are now gone. It seems Superman has snuck in and grabbed them while the two guys were trying to lose one another. This causes Riley to get even angrier at Snoop and start chasing him, saying it was entirely Snoop's fault. While Superman watches and laughs at Riley from a nearby rooftop, Snoop runs from Riley, eventually evading him altogether. He runs into an alley and reveals out loud to no one in particular that while Riley wasn't looking, he was able to procure a note from the pocket of the suit. The note reads, Must remember to attend the Duncan reception tonight. Snoop figures that Superman will be at the party, he will be too, and that the $5,000 will be as good as his. And I guess at this point we should all be thankful that Superman hasn't developed his super memory yet because otherwise this story would have had a rather abrupt ending. Anyway, later that evening, Snoop shows up at the Duncan house but is denied entrance because he doesn't have an invitation. But not one to take no for an answer, Snoop has a great idea. He finds a phone booth and places a call to the Daily Star asking for the society editor. Given that it's late at night, the society editor isn't in, but guess who just happens to be working overtime? Yep, our fearless girl reporter, Lois Lane. Lois asks if she can take a message, and Snoop tells her that he has to get into the Duncan party to capture Superman. He promises that if the paper can help him get into the party, he'll make sure they get the scoop first. Lois, of course, as one might expect, stays true to herself and immediately starts plotting how she can best use this to her advantage not only to get to meet Superman again, but to warn him as well. She tells Snoop she thinks she can help and says to meet her in front of the Duncan house. When Lois gets to the house, Snoop tries to tell Lois to tell the doorman to let him in, but Lois, naturally, sticks her nose into the air and walks into the house claiming that she doesn't know him and doesn't care to. At this point, you've got to wish Clark was nearby to see this, if for no other reason than to see that Lois treats anyone like trash if they get between her and her dream lover. Anyway, despite Snoop's protests that Lois double-crossed him and that she just wants the reward money for himself, the doorman tosses Snoop out on his ear. Left with no other choice, Snoop finds yet another phone and calls Riley, telling him that he's closing in on capturing Superman. Riley shows up and throws a brief hissy fit, but Snoop tells him that he has to get them into the Duncan home right now. Inside the party, Clark and Lois run into one another. Lois tells Clark that he, she's never been happier to see him, anyone in all her days. Clark is surprised after the way Lois acted earlier. Gee, you think? But Lois goes on to tell him that someone has learned Superman will be at the party and that they've got to find him and warn him so he doesn't get taken by police. And Clark, he says... How will I recognize him? I don't know, Clark. Maybe look for the big guy in the blue costume and the red cape? Okay, so I understand why Clark asks this, but he's a reporter that's been assigned to cover Superman. Shouldn't he at least pretend to be a little more aware? But anyway, Clark goes on to ask why he should help after the way that Lois treated him earlier, but before she can answer, Riley busts in the door with Snoop following close behind. The doorman tries to stop them, but Riley barges on ahead, threatening to arrest the doorman if he gets in his way. Once inside the party, Riley sees that there's about two dozen guys at the party and wonders how they're going to figure out which one is Superman. 
Snoop suggests that it's possible Superman is wearing the costume underneath his regular clothes again, so they'll have to search every guy at the party. Lois, and... <laughs> sorry, Kaiser. Lois, again with a 180-degree change in attitude, turns on Clark and begins blaming him for not helping her f before Snoop and Riley showed up. Because, you know, he had plenty of seconds to help. Clark thinks to himself in a very helpful piece of exposition that he hopes they don't search everyone because he is, indeed, still wearing his costume underneath his suit. Riley announces to the gathered partygoers who he is and that all the men need to line up for a search so that Superman won't get away from him, to which Snoop reminds that he means Superman won't get away from the both of them. Clark, clearly trying to keep a low profile, steps up and begins mocking Riley again for being on the trail of the big bad villain, even going so far as to ask if Riley suspects him of being Superman. Goading the man about to reveal your biggest secret doesn't seem like the best idea to me, but okay. Riley tells him that he isn't taking any chances and that he should shut up, get back in line, and watch 100% Riley make the biggest arrest of his career. So Riley starts patting the guys down one by one. He works his way down the line until Clark Kent is next up for a search. Snoop interrupts the searches, again inquiring about the reward money. Clark waits with bated breath as Riley and Snoop begin to argue. Snoop is trying to make sure he'll get at least a small part of the $5,000 reward money, but Riley bullies him again, saying that he's got a lot of nerve trying to claim the money when it was he, Riley, that made, or is going to make, the capture. He tells Snoop to beat it, the money is his, and his alone. With Snoop put in his place, Riley turns his focus back to the search, and Clark. Clark has no way out and has resigned himself to the, that the jig is almost up, but just as Riley is about to search Clark, Snoop decides to get a little payback. He says if he can't have the money, no one will, and turns off the lights. Because, yeah, that'll show him. So the lights go out, and the people, as they are want to do in these comics, go nuts. They should feel fortunate, I think, that Superman didn't round them all up and stick them in a mine or something, but... Riley finds his way over to the switch and hits the lights again, only to see, standing before him, Superman. Both Riley and Snoop spot Superman and take flying leaps at him, because a man who can tear down buildings single-handed is easy to tackle. But Superman stands firm, letting the two men crash into him, and as skulls of bone meet a man of steel, both detectives are left unconscious. Superman grabs his clothes and leaps out the window as Lois rushes to catch him. She fails. Superman escapes her grasp once more, leaving her to sigh a mournful sigh at missing yet another chance to talk to her dream lover. The bright side is, though, that no one tried to, you know, capture, drug, harm, and or kill her this time out, so she's got that going for her. In any event, the next day, the headlines of the Daily Star reads, 99% Riley leaves town in a hurry. Attempt to capture Superman a failure. The end. And apparently Snoop left town too because he's never heard from again. And no one asks why Clark Kent disappeared from the party. Apparently Lois was too busy drooling over Superman to worry about a worm like Clark Kent, I guess. <laughs> Does this whole story seem like the plot to a bad sitcom to anyone else? It really doesn't help that I had yakety sacks running through my head for most of the whole story. Chief hires Detective Buffoon to track down Superman. 
Raleigh does something outlandish to that end, and the rest of the story is just a series of wacky hijinks resulting from the premise set up at the beginning, complete with the oh-so-convenient all the characters come together at the same place just when the story is wrapping up. And it even goes on to the end with the, you know, quote-unquote bad guys knocking themselves out to end the story. It's just... (laughs) I kept expecting Lucille Ball to show up at some point, and then Ricky to pop his head in and... No, Lucy, you can't be in the comic. Wow, that was... (laughs) That was the worst Ricky Ricardo impression ever, wasn't it? Anyway, yes, it was a funny story, but Superman, other than being the object of their chase, wasn't even a factor. I mean, they might as well be looking for the world's best egg salad recipe. And yes, that's a random reference, but at least I'm not editing in clips of The Love and Spoonful. It's not a bad story. It would even be tolerable as a Superman Superman story. I'll give you that much. But the worst here, and why I'm going to be so down on it, is that it's such a disappointing follow-up to last issue. Last issue's story was serious in tone, and it ended with a major development. Superman wanted by the police. And not just wanted as in, hey, we want to talk to this guy who might be up to something. No, he was wanted for actual crimes, major destruction of property. And our follow-up to that major development was a madcap romp featuring two bumbling detectives. I think it could have just been so much more. What's worse, we don't even really get a wrap-up to that plot point of Superman being wanted either. And I don't think that's referenced again, though I could be forgetting something. So this issue ends up being pretty much moot. Superman destroys part of a city, and nothing's ever really done about it. Don't get me wrong, I don't want to see Superman being wanted as a criminal, but there's definite potential for a story in that, and it was set up fine last issue. And even if, you know, as we saw at the end of last issue, the Chief agrees with Superman's actions, he still has a responsibility to bring him in and see that he answers for his actions. A story showing how Superman got back into the good graces of the city at large would have been so much better and so much more fitting. But the issue does have its its high points. I like the scene with Superman saving the mental patient, because it was a chance to see Superman do something as a side bit without tying it right into the main story. Well, it did tie into the story, because that was when he left his clothes in the alley, but the patient himself didn't tie into the story. He was just the proverbial cat in the tree. The save itself wasn't directly tied to the plot, like if Lois had needed saving or, you know, uh, it was uh, Snoop falling off the ledge. And I like seeing these small scenes where Superman does things not directly involving the main or the side characters because it helps put Superman into a larger world. And I really like the scene, I I talked about it earlier, I really like the scene uh, with Lois and Clark. It may be heavy-handed. Okay, it really couldn't be any more so if Siegel drove to your house and hit you over the head with a club. But it's a very funny scene, and it really does drive the point home that the Superman-Lois-Clark love triangle is in full effect. Lois is full-bore crazy, and even though I might complain about it now and then, and will never, ever stop making fun of it, I really do like it, because that, in essence, that's the relationship between the characters. No matter how many versions show them dating or married or what have you, or that we've reached the point that, you know, Lois falling in love with Clark, a non-nerdy Clark anyway, and finding out the secret is inevitable, 
if not default, in pretty much any medium, that love triangle will always be the iconic relationship between the characters that is seen by the general public. Always. The very last panel of the last page is an ad that promotes the further adventures of Superman can only be found in Action Comics. And I'm going to scan this ad and put it in the show notes. It's quite a nice ad with a great uh, Schuster-drawn Superman, and much better than the one from back in issue 6. In our ongoing look at the evolution of Superman's costume, the S on Superman's chest is red again this time, with the shape still being an inverted yellow triangle. But that's really it for this issue. Um, One panel, uh, the panel where Superman catches the mental patient, his cape is colored a nice mustard yellow, but that's pretty clearly just a coloring mistake because that's the color of the background in the panel as well. Reprint-wise, this story has been reprinted twice, first in Superman the Action Comics Archives Volume 1 and later in Superman Chronicles Volume 1. Other features in this issue of Action Comics are the usual suspects, Scoop Scanlon, Pep Morgan, Marco Polo, Tex Thompson, Chuck Dawson, and Zaytara. The Tex Thompson feature wraps up a storyline that involves something about a doctor trying to transfer human brains into the bodies of apes to create some sort of ape army or something. I don't know, I've only really been given these extra features a glance, but that seemed kind of intriguing. There's not too much else of note uh, as far as the other features go, but I do have one sort of mea culpa stemming from last episode. I mentioned that Gardner Fox would take over writing duties on the Zaytara strip when uh, Fred Gardner left DC. Actually, Fox took over as writer on the strip last issue, Action Comics number 8, but Gardner does continue to draw the strip through issue number 29. Other books out from DC with the February 1939 cover date were More Fun Comics number 40, which has the final story of the Red Logan strip by Edwin Arsky. That strip will later resurface in Detective Comics in a little more than a year. Uh, also there was Adventure Comics number 35, and finally there was Detective Comics number 24 with a really creepy Fred Gardner cover. that It shows a little boy bound and gagged while counterfeiters work producing fake money. And in the background, uh, there's a uh, another boy looking through the window at them, you know, with a, like a worried expression. It's a solid cover, but kind of creepy. Inside the book, it has all the normal features, but starting this issue, the Siegel and Schuster spy strip gets dropped to six pages from the eight that it had been running at. I don't know if that was because the strip was fading at that point, or if they were just trying to lighten the load some on Siegel and Schuster so that they could focus more on Superman. Hi, my name is Billy Hogan, host of the Superman Fan Podcast, which explores the world of Superman and the many creators who have added to his legacy over the decades. Episodes will feature creator biographies or highlight some of their top stories they have created as well as their top characters. Other episodes will feature topics appropriate to the holiday or the time of the year. For instance, Valentine's Day will feature stories about the women in Superman's life. April Fool's Day will feature some of the bizarre Superman Silver Age stories or some of the imaginary stories that have been published. Halloween will feature some of the scary Superman stories or some of his strange transformations and, of course, some of the Christmas Superman stories. 
The website can be found at supermanfanpodcast.mypodcast.com. The blog is supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com. And you can send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. I also have a spoiler-free comic book review blog of the titles I read every week, which can be found at mypolllist.blogspot.com. And you can send email about this blog to mypolllist at gmail.com. Coming October 31st, 2010, Superman Forever Radio, a new weekly podcast which will focus on Superman and his family of comics, movies, television shows, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Featuring the latest news, reviews, and the latest and classic adventures of the Man of Steel, an in-depth look at a variety of topics throughout Superman's 70-plus years of history. Join host J. David Weeder every Sunday for Superman Forever Radio, coming October 31st, 2010. For more information, go to supermanforever.com. Well, I think that about does it for this episode. Uh, thanks again to Steve Rogers for the email, and once more thank you for joining me. Next episode, be sure to come back next episode, because we will be stepping away from the comics to look at the very first arc from the Superman Daily Newspaper Strip. And I'm really excited to get into those, because the first arc is really great stuff. Uh, plus it's a brand new medium for the characters, so it will be fun to see how how that uh, evolves to the character and the changes that that brings. As always, uh, please feel free to email me uh, with feedback or questions, comments, corrections, etc. Those can be sent to thrillingadventures at greatcrypton.com. There's also the website at www.greatcrypton.com where you can leave comments and see show notes and links and images from the episodes. I've also started posting some uh, non-show related stuff there. Uh, it's not exactly a daily blog or even a weekly blog, but but I have um, started posting some things there about my reading habits and other Superman-related tidbits. One of the new features I've started is called The Stack, and that's part of a project I, I started at the beginning of the year to document, document how many comics I read in a year. And so far, it's turning out to be a lot fewer than in past years, but anyway, that's there. The show is also on Facebook, where I post updates and such, and if you want to subscribe to the show directly, it's available on iTunes, and there's also the RSS feed, and links to all three of those are available at the site as well, so there's lots of ways to leave feedback and send your thoughts on the show. Uh, whether it's email or an iTunes review or a note on Facebook, there's lots of ways to get in touch with me and tell me what you like about the show or, or what you don't, because that's important too, so please do. I always like hearing feedback from listeners. And finally, there is the Superman Podcast Network, available at fortressofbailey2.com slash supermanpodcastnetwork, where you'll find updates to this show, as well as about a dozen other Superman-related podcasts and vidcasts that are really all worth a listen, so be sure to check that out if you have time. As always, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thanks once more for listening to the thrilling adventures of Superman. I'll talk to you later. Goodbye.
Gangsters have stolen my secret recipe for egg salad. And not only that, they kill, they maim, and they call information for numbers they could easily look up in the book. <laughs> 